Welcome everyone, you are listening to the I Am A Sparching Podcast with your host, Scott Knowles. Enjoy the show, it will probably suck. Spartan OCR podcast. How about that intro music, right? Totally free, totally royalty free. That's how you do it. Tonight, I'm really excited about this episode. I got my buddy TJ Theus on here, and he's a very accomplished long distance runner. And uh, we go over a lot of tips and, you know, tricks on, um, the Spartan Ultra Beast. Uh, we mainly talk about the New Jersey one because it's the next one coming up, and hopefully, there's some good information for uh, everybody on here. Um, uh, it's kind of a long episode, so I'm just going to go ahead and get to it. Enjoy. Hey, everybody, I got TJ Theus on the phone right now, and uh, something you might not know about TJ Theus, but he's run several spartan ultra beasts and not to mention he also run the georgia death race in 23 hours and 31 minutes and to those who don't know what the georgia death race is it's a 68 mile roughly 68 mile race and it covers over 40,000 feet of elevation gain did i leave anything out there tj no i think you got most of it there buddy <laughs> And uh, I remember when you ran that that race, and when you got done at the end, it was something like the people that were uh, supposed to like pick you up and take you for a ride, they weren't there or something like that. Which race was that? Georgia Death Race? Yeah. No, my ride wasn't there, and she was getting really, really grumpy because it was really cold when I finished that morning, too. <laughs> so didn't you have to, like, walk? to get back to where you had to go, like your room or whatever? There's a story, actually. My crew actually took off a week before I went down because she wanted, you know, take your time getting down there, check out some sites. And I just wanted a straight shot down. And we were supposed to meet before um, before Packard picked up the night off. I had a little run around to do. I actually was in, I forget what that part of town I was in, but I had to run to Atlanta to an REI to pick up some nutrition and all that. So I was going to meet her at her, at her hotel, and we were going to go to pack and pick up, and just go our separate ways for the night. But her car actually broke down about 300 feet before her hotel, her transmission decided to go in it. Oh, man. It made probably all the way from Pennsylvania down to Georgia, no problems, but it couldn't make the final last till to get to the hotel. <laughs> So what happened was she took my rental card for the, after the race is all said and done. And when she dropped me off, I realized that I had absolutely nothing with me, like no nutrition, no nothing. And the closest thing was probably about a city block away. And it took me forever to walk there to get everything that I needed. I can imagine. Yeah, I mean, and that's, did, did, you, uh, did you drive back home the day after that race? 
Yes, I did. I took one day. It was probably probably about a day and a half I had in this laundry around the hotel to recover. And then the straight 14-hour ride back from there. Now, see, what he just said there was a very valuable lesson to those of you that are thinking about doing an Ultra Beast. If you've never done a really long-distance race, which last year's New Jersey was my first race ever running over 17 miles and New Jersey was almost 30 miles last year. We drove up and it was a 16 hour drive for us from South Georgia. And as soon as the race was over, we went to the hotel, crashed, got up at 4 a.m. and drove, I think it was earlier than 4 a.m. and we drove all the way back. And every time we stopped, it was harder to get out of the van. We were so sore from sitting in that van that was the worst mistake ever i'm flying this year <laughs> yeah definitely definitely if you're traveling anything over five hours a flight's definitely the way to go after something like that if you're not used to that distance yeah it was so rough man it took me probably six months to get over aches and pains from the ultra last year this year i'm just going to uh, run beast both days i might tackle really? another ultra next year uh, it's not that bad. It's only two laps. <laughs> yeah, I know. I was just, man, it was. It took me a while to get over that. I just, man, my my IT bands were killing me on the second lap. It was, it was bad. Oh, it was bad. I could imagine. Uh, I, if if I do an if I do another ultra, I might do Killington. I want to, you know, step it up. I don't want to do the same one twice. Okay. <clears throat> but uh. Well, anyway, uh, TJ, the main reason why I want to talk to you today is because a lot of people are getting ready for the New Jersey Beast. It's coming up, and uh, you helped me personally. You didn't even know who I was, but I was watching, you know, seeing you on the Spartan 4.0 and posting in some of the Ultra Beast groups on Facebook, and I was sending you, like, private messages and asking you different kind of questions on all about nutrition and everything, and... You had some really, really cool ideas, and I was just wondering, you know, maybe we can talk to everybody about that today. And um, Sure, absolutely. So, I guess, I guess probably the best way to start this conversation is, uh, let's start it from, you know, somebody who's maybe run some some half marathons, you know, and they're, and they're, they're wanting to do an Ultra Beast, and they're ready to, you know, step up their training to do it. What kind of uh, training would you suggest, you know, that they, they start doing to prepare for an ultra? If someone already right now has a good solid, they can go out the door and start running a half marathon, no problem. Right off there, automatically, you're a lot better off than most people because you already have a solid base built. What I recommend from there is start gradually increasing your long run every week. The general rule of thumb is, say, if your long run is 15 miles right now, half max. You don't want to add more than 10, 15% each week. So roughly add about a mile and a half each week. Right. From there, once you can go up right out the gate and follow, like, say, a 20-miler that day, awesome. From there, I'd recommend you start following, like, a good, solid 50K training plan. Most of that training plans are going to consist of hill repeats, uh, they're going to be like back-to-back 10-mile runs. To, like on the second day, that's going to know what it feels like to run on tired legs. And just pretty much from there, just generally increasing your distance. Right. Um, now, I know that, you know, down here in South Georgia, there's not a lot of hills. So you're either, 
you know, hammering out on a treadmill on an incline or I, I, one thing I did do, I think I read it on somebody's blog. It was an ultra beast blog. And the guy said that they did a lot of lunges. And so that's what I, that was one thing that I did too. And to just, you know, adding distance to my runs and everything. So, uh, did, do you do, did you do, a, do you do a lot of leg work, like workouts, like lunges, squats? As strange as it sounds, I hardly do any kind of like gym work. I don't do any real kind of real lunge workout, nothing like that. I just mainly spend a lot of time out in the trails. Right. Because really when it all boils down to it, you're not preparing for an obstacle race. You're preparing for a 50K-ish race, where it all boils down to it. Yeah, with with some hiking and an obstacle about every mile. <laughs> Absolutely. But it's as far as like lunge work and all that goes, if you don't have any hills around you, do a lunge mile, let's say, no matter how long it takes you. Right. And even better, if you don't feel like doing that, a lot of other ultra runners will actually drag a tire around on their runs, and that simulates their work as well. Right. Yeah, because that's almost like it, simulating, you know, heel training minus the incline, but you still got that extra drag on you. Anything to just get those legs burning. Right. Um. So, uh, so you know... The venue at New Jersey is uh oh shoot what was the name of, what's the name of the place is it Mountain Creek um Mountain Creek yes Mountain Creek Mountain Creek and and for those of you that have never done an Ultra Beast you'll get all of this in like a packet I think it'll come out like a week before and it'll tell you all the details but of course the Elite Heat starts at six a.m. and then they stagger them back into the open heat times after that. They have cutoffs. Of, I went back and researched when our cutoffs were last year, and I want to say you had to be out of the drop bin by 2.30, which is, you know, as long as you're, I would say, as long as you're running all the flats and all the downhills and, you know, you're going to be, you're going to get out of the drop bin area by 2.30. Easy. Um, the next cutoff was at 19 miles was 6 p.m. So you had a big drop off, you know, a big time difference between the second cutoff time from the third. And then, you know, at 7.30, it was at 25 miles and the course closed at 9.30. So, but, uh, which, you know, and to me, I, I know everybody says don't pace yourself, but I kind of went in with my strategy was is I wanted to get the first lap over as fast as possible so I knew what to expect on the second lap. Um, it, how, do, how do you take it when you do an ultra? I mean, I know you've done a few of them, so you probably pretty much know you got it in the bag no matter what. But uh, What I would do as far as like pacing all that goes, I have no general concept of pacing whatsoever. I'm just, it, it's one of those things that comes with experience from doing so many ultra events and being on your feet for X amount of hours. Yeah. You can kind of like, okay, if it's, I'm five miles into a 30 mile race, I'm not going to totally bomb this downhill now and start saving my legs a little bit. And it's like, um, if you're 10 miles in, you can start getting a little riskier with it and a little riskier from there. But you definitely want to have a little bit left in the tank when you get the drop in. Yeah. 
and that's probably where I messed up my IT bands is on the first lap I was kind of being a little overzealous on the downhills I mean I was just letting go and letting the momentum take me and that's probably what ruined my IT bands for the for the second lap but you know I figured it out you know it's a 30 mile race so as long as I was averaging you know three miles an hour I'd be done in 10 hours and so I kind of just had you know a setting on on my watch where it was showing average pace and that way you know I kind of kept up with it and on, on the first lap I was well above the average you know I was my average goal but when that second lap came around it was like you know because my IT bands were bothering me a little more and you're going to at least add an extra hour to your second lap so I, I was right there at it you know three miles an hour you know so Oh, an extra hour easily on second lap, just from general fatigue and course traffic alone. And then, you know, whatever time you spend in your drop-in area, too. Oh, absolutely. If you're spending any more than a few minutes of your drop-in, then you didn't prepare for this race, though. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Okay, well, well, let's, let's, let's start on that. Um, so, let's start, you know, first thing, when you get up in the morning, uh, you know, I know that you, you use a lot of Hammer Nutrition stuff, too, and, man, I used a bunch of their stuff when I did this race. Uh, but I remember reading something on theirs about endurance racing, and it was talking about, you know, if you're going to eat before a race, a big race, it needs to be, like, three hours before a race. And, you know, I totally did that. I was the one that was up at, like, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning, and I was eating breakfast. <laughs> Is that what you, is is that how you what time did you get up and start start your ultra day? Oh jeez. Honestly, if the race goes off at six, I'll be at the venue at like five thirty. I'll be up at four thirty. Like I'm the guy that's usually I'll just stay in bed for ten more minutes and I just wolf down whatever beforehand. <laughs> I have a pretty iron stomach when it comes to this, so there's the days where I've eaten like McDonald's drive through egg McMuffins before ultras. Yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm sure I'm getting not getting any nutritional value from anything I've eaten from this breakfast, but it's just calories at that point for me. That's right. It's just good eating. That's one thing about you know if you if you follow TJ on Facebook, you you definitely can tell he he definitely knows how to uh, you know eat some carbs, and I'm all about that. I love some good carbs too. Oh, it's all carbs all the time. That's right. Pizza and donuts, man. Pizza and donuts. That's all you need. <laughs> That's right. So, um, so yep. So you get to the venue. You definitely want to get to this race early. Um, I know that when we got to this race early, they were like, well, we're not going to start checking bags until such and such time. And, you know, and everybody was like, well, that's after the first elite wave. So y'all have got to start now. So you know, you always want to get to a Spartan race early because you, you never know what's going to happen when you get to there. Oh, you at least want to get there an hour easily beforehand just to get yourself situated, find yeah. everything, do your morning rituals, whatever you whatever you really do. Yeah, and you know you're going to have to go to the, you know, you know you're going to have to visit the bathroom at least a couple times before you start the race. That's, oh, of course. That's a given. And, that, and you know, that was what was really funny. We got there early enough that uh, we was able to actually go downstairs in that r resort 
you know, uh, like underneath that store. And we was actually able to use like real toilets. We didn't have to use the porta potties outside. Wow, that's luxury right there. It, it was. Yeah, but when we finished the race, it was totally blocked off, man. I bet those those bathrooms were just destroyed after all those people uh, in there. Wow. In the mornings. But yeah, so um, yeah, you definitely want to get to this race early and get situated. Or you, I mean, and that's any Spartan race. It's not just this race. But absolutely. Uh, um, I know. I know you're a big you're a big innovate fan, but let's just talk about gear here for a second. Like what what gear do you usually use for for a, for your racing? My go to ultra beast gear. I'll start with my feet, work my way up. There you go. I actually wear a pair of Innovate Rock Light two eighty fives, and they're actually a discontinued shoe, sadly. And they just if anything in the Rock Light series, it's like the AK-47 of shoes, they're like super dependable, the grip is amazing, they're just an all-around awesome shoe for just about any distance I've ever done so far. Yeah, I got a set of um, 280s have... sitting right beside me right now. <laughs> there you go. My socks, I wear in GG Merino wool socks, actually. Uh, they just seem to really agree with my feet for some reason, so I just continue to wear those. I wear 2XU compression shorts or pants, depending on the temperature. Right. And from there up, I wear either some sort of Under Armour shirt or longer short sleeve, again, depending on the weather. Right. Um, then from my outside, I wear a Solomon Skin 3.5 vest, actually, from a hydration. And that's just filled with all my gels and um, other products like that that I use. Uh, then usually I'll wear a Tough Outfitters uh, multifunction headband. It's just like a good general, you'll work like a neck gaiter, a hat, um, sweatband, anything like that that I need. But those are like another like versatile thing that I like to wear during these races. Yeah, but, yeah, but this year we, we've got to wear the Spartan headband, remember? Because they changed the rules. Only elites do. <laughs> they, yeah, 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 there you go. But uh, I know... Um, I, I was I just bought a couple of camel packs off of eBay and you know I put one in my drop bin full and ready to go so all I had to do was just you know shoulder it on and shoulder it off but uh, tell us the disadvantages and advantages from wearing a vest as opposed to like a, a regular you know hydration pack. I actually prefer a vest just because of the main reason that I don't have to have a big pack on the back of me. I I personally don't need to carry a lot of fluids or nutrition with me for, like, say, lap one. When I usually do these on one Ultra Beast, I'll have a 50-ounce bladder in the back that I'll just sip onto the entire day of, like, electrolyte. Right. And up front, I have two soft flats, actually. And on top of that, I have all kinds of pockets that I can also reach to it in there. So I think a vest is just a little bit more compact. Uh, a little more versatile, like pocket-wise, for your storage and all that. Yeah. But on the opposite end of it, if you're if someone that has to hydrate a little bit more, you like to carry a little bit of things, something like a Camelback would be a little better for you because you get a little bit more storage with it. Um, it's usually generally a little more rugged material as well if you're a little harder on your gear, like things like that. And it'll be a little easier to slip out a draft bin because then all you have to do is just take the whole thing off, open up the big zipper, and whatever you got to change out, just go for it right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the main, to me, the worst thing about wearing 
a hydration pack. One is the noise of all the water sloshing around the whole time. Uh, two, if you've got anything in it, it's always on your back and it's harder to get to. You usually have to take it off or, you know, which, and then when you go under a barbed wire crawl, it's, it's even that worse because it's always catching on the barbed wire if you don't take it off too. Well, it, it does for me. Oh yeah. It's harder. I mean, you can't roll with it on, but you probably can't roll with a, a hydration vest either, can you? You can, but it's you got to keep almost your arms at your side. I usually protect my front soft blast like that. Right. So like a front of my arms will take the most when I'm rolling on that. But there's been days I've had a, I've have a, an innovate bladder actually. I stole from another vest. And I there's been days in Killington where I'm going to the barbed wire crawl. And I'm just laying flat on my back because I'm just too dizzy to move, and mm -hmm. it held up no problem. Right. So, uh, you know, as far as nutrition goes, like what kind of nutrition are you, do you have in your vest as you run the race? My nutrition strategy usually changes at drop-in, actually. But for lap one, I call it like runner's food, which is like gels, gummies, things like that. But I also use a hammer nutrition perpetuum. It's a similar product to Tailwind, but it also has protein in it as well. One scoop of that's about 270 calories, so I'll do a scoop of that in one bottle, and my other bottle will put my vest, I'll have either some sort of electrolyte drink or just straight water. Right. In the back, I have just regular electrolytes that I'll keep in there all day and just sip on those throughout the day. And then, usually every, just depends how it's going, like how hard is the pace I'm pushing or what kind of climb going on. I usually tend to eat probably like two to 400 calories an hour ish, depending on what's going on with that. When I get to drop it, actually, to start lap two, I want nothing to do with any kind of, like, gel or gummy like that. Like, I don't want anything sweet in my system. You're sick it of just, it by then, huh? Yeah, I can only eat so many, like, chocolate peanut butter flavored things before I want salt and vinegar, you know? Right. But at the start of lap two, I Snickers bars are actually another one of my favorites. I'll have those with me for lap one and lap two because they're about 90 calories a piece and for some reason, that's been like the only sweet thing I've found so far that I can be like 25 miles deep and still be able to take down. But anyway, for lap two, I will, as soon as I get to my drop-in, I'll have some, like a strawberry shortcake roll that I'll chase with Red Bull. Yeah. And then after that, I'll load up on like salt and vinegar Pringles, uh, goldfish, pretzels, things like that. I prefer actually like real food on lap two as opposed to like gels or gummies. Just agrees with my system a little more. It's something I want to like actually want to eat instead of being forced to eat. Right. And then I actually use a, a scoop and three quarters of Hammer Nutrition's Perpetuum for lap two as well. On lap two, I actually found that I tend to burn a little bit more calories. I don't know if it's just because I'm just general fatigue or my system's just firing that much. But in that bottle alone, but just Perpetuum, I think it's probably about 400 calories I'm pushing. And my other bottle I swap out, I'll switch to a BCAA drink as well just to help. I just feel like they help give me a little bit of energy and do that what they got to do with my system. Yeah, see, that's the cool thing about the vest is you can do different, you can do different drinks like that. Because I, I, drank, I drank Perpetuum, you know, for breakfast that morning and then ate some food too. But, and I was thinking, you know, it'd be great to have some of this while I'm running, but you can't put Perpetuum in a, yeah, three liter Camelback bag. So I, yeah. I was just running with the uh, the Endura lights in the bag. But uh, okay, 
I, I pretty much did the whole the whole my whole first lap I was using you know I was eating the hammer bars and stuff they have those they're like I don't know they don't have all the added sugars and stuff it was like natural sugars you know they they said it's supposed to be easy on your gut all their stuff is supposed to be easy on your gut and all that which I've never had an issue with anything I eat but then again this was the first time I'd ever run a race like this so I didn't want to take any chances I wanted to see you know how I was going to do on the first lap so I totally you know used you know all the hammer stuff and uh, I was even taking their uh those energy boost pills that they sell I was taking those like every hour and I was taking uh they're anti-fatigue pills like every hour because I, I'm not a long distance runner. So I just kind of went into this race with like a good poker face and I was just trying to BS it with all this, you know, supplementation. <laughs> I hear you, man. But, uh, it, you know, and then like on my second lap, you know, and that was another good tip that you gave me uh, when we were, t we talked on some messaging as, as, totally come off of caffeine for like two weeks before the race and then on the That's second a huge one yes and then on the second lap i switched to honey stinger products where i was eating their bars and about every hour i was eating one of their uh gels that had the caffeine in it too so i was like superman on that second lap because i'm the type of person where i usually drink like three cups of coffee a day so yeah, I usually tell most people if they're like a heavy caffeine user, like a lot of coffee or espresso, things like that, I tell them like, look, suck it up for the week. Yep. Don't drink any of it leading up to the race. You're going to be tired. You're going to be miserable. Deal with it. And then when you get to the race, maybe have a cup of coffee in the morning, something like that, just like, okay, reintroduce it back to your system. Save everything for lap two, like all your gels switch out if you're using any kind of like uh, strips or anything like that with caffeine, save it all for lap two. Exactly. But the thing is then, don't read, don't put a lot in your system all at once. Some of the gels that we use, they have like 20 to 40 milligrams. Start off with one of those as opposed to a higher milligram one, like 100 milligrams. Right. And then from there, you can slowly start reintroducing it back in your system, and that's where you're going to get the full benefit from it. Because caffeine is just a stimulant, really. And if your body's used to having that stimulant, that's going to build up the immunity to it. It's not going to get the full effect from it. Yep. Definitely. That 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 tip right there alone worked great for me. I don't know how everybody approaches it, but that worked that worked really good for me. Um, my, I actually tested this out with my girlfriend, actually. She ran a 12-hour, it was just a time loop course, over a one-and-a-half-mile loop. Yep. I told her, like, look, I'm, I was actually crewing for that day. That was back in the summertime when my knee was still all messed up. And I told her, like, look, we have 12 hours to do this. I'm not going to let you start sucking down any caffeine now. I saved it for about six or seven hours into it. And from there, I started reintroducing it back. And she had the strongest second half of the race I've ever seen. That's the day she actually broke 40, I think it was 42 or 43 miles in that race. Wow. In 12 hours? That's pretty awesome. 12 hours, yes. Man, that's smoking. Now, would, now, was this just like a running race, or was there obstacles? Or No, this was just a straight-up timed event. It was called Montour 24. There, were, there was a 6-hour option, a 12-hour, and a 24-hour option. And it's just a one-and-a-half-mile loop all day, and just 
going, going, going for 12 hours. Oh man, I bet that got monotonous after a while. I ran it in 20, 2015. I hit 50 miles in it and like four or five hours into it, you just start feeling like a robot. Uh-huh. But it's, it's like super good mentally though for like something like an Ultra Beast coming up. Because if you have like focused enough to stay out there for 12 hours nonstop after you pass your pit area each time, going into something like an Ultra Beast, you're more mentally prepared for it too. Oh, oh I imagine. Oh, I think that, you know, because it was my first race, so I, I was just a full of adrenaline the whole time because I was like, I got to finish, I got to finish, I got to finish, <laughs> you know, because you, uh-huh. you were so scared of, of failure because, you know, you've never done anything like that, you know, I've never done any kind of race or, you know, endurance thing that lasted all day long, so it was just yeah. a, a super rush of adrenaline. I mean, if, if to anybody out there that's on the fence about doing an ultra beast, you know, it, it's definitely a, a goal you should shoot for because to date, it is one of the most exciting days of my life. Uh, one of the most painful days, too. <laughs> okay, so you're at New Jersey and you've run this race and to anybody that's done this, you know, Norm usually always designs the ultras, um, and he usually does a pretty good job at putting the carries in in difficult places. and And last year, the bucket was in a it was in a pretty a pretty rough area. I mean, it wasn't any you know. I mean, it was clean cut grass, but you went up a hill, and then it got flat, and you went up another hill, and then it got flat, and then you went up another hill, and then you come all the way back down. It's probably the longest bucket carry I'd ever done, but it was a good one, but when if anybody out there that is is doing this race and you're not an accomplished uh, incline runner, don't I would say don't try to kill yourself on the inclines because it, you're just going to waste yourself if you're not an accomplished uh, you know incline runner because there's so many hills and some of them are so steep I don't even think. You could run up them and make any time over somebody that was fast walking. They were so steep. But um, so you do this. You do the first half of the race, and then you come into the drop bin area. So let's talk about you know the drop bin and the drop bin area. Okay. Um, I I totally took this tip from you too, and that was you know use a five gallon bucket. You know, and at, at, again. Spartan's going to send you out measurements of how big your container can be for your drop-in area. And the five-gallon bucket is just perfect. So, uh, TJ, let's just go over, you know, what to store in the drop-in. In your drop-in, if you think you have a lot in there, you definitely do. You want absolute minimum in there and then take even more stuff out of there. I actually use a five-gallon bucket as well, and some of the things that I've packed, it's, I haven't even touched them in three races. I'll pack, like, a first-aid kit. I'll pack wet wipes, things like that. And, like, I overthink it almost. Right. My best tip I can give for drop-in is keep it small, keep it simple. You want to spend as little time in there as possible, and you don't want, like, this big bin to, like, have to sort through all the stuff. Yeah, don't sit down. If you have to sit down, set 
set yourself a goal, like, all right, I'm going to count to 30, and then we're going to get back up and get going again. Because the longer you sit there, the harder it is going to be to actually get back up and get out there. Right. I, I know I, I had to, I sat down just for a, a, a couple of minutes because I had some major rocks in my shoes, and I had to get up get them out of there and that's one cool thing if for those of you that don't know what injinji socks are those are the toe socks and one cool thing about toe socks are is if you get a rock in your shoe you can kind of move that rock around in your shoe while you're running if you know if your toes are you know free to move oh, around yeah. i totally wasted a pair of socks by uh running with the rocks in there for a really long time but I know one thing that I didn't have in my drop bin that I wish I would have had, and that was some leave. But I ended up seeing a chick on the trail later on that actually had some, and she gave me some. And I didn't have any gum, and I like to chew gum when I run sometimes, and so I got some of that on the trail too. But it was some of that cheap, like, pink bubble gum, you know, the double bubble. Oh. So, it, oh, yeah. yeah, it didn't last very long. But, um, no. I know... I, you know, I had a lot of spare stuff, you know, in my bin, just for like worst case scenario. I had an a, an exact replica of the shoes I was wearing. Um, I didn't have extra socks, but I didn't think I didn't think I would need an extra pair of socks. Um, I had Pepto Bismol in there in case I, I, you know, the chewable kind, in case I was getting some kind of gut problem. And a dude yeah. I was running beside, he was puking, so I ended up handing him to him because we actually went into the drop bin area at the same time. He told me what his okay. name told me what his name was, but I totally forgot what it was. And uh, I had just a whole nother Camelback just ready to go. It was loaded up with my food for my second lap. All I had to do was just shoulder it and run, and it had my headlamp in it, so everything was just ready to go. I think I actually had, you know, because I. On that same blog post I read, they talk about how cold it was at World Champions, and some dude was like, I had a trash bag, and it totally saved my whole lap, and so I actually had, like, one of those Tyvek suits, like, in the bottom of it for, like, a worst-case scenario. I figured, well, I could, like, cut this, you know, and then have, like, a sweat suit if I needed it. Oh, man. But that would have been miserable, so I'm glad I didn't use that. Man, we we were so, we had it so made at that Ultra. The weather was perfect, man. It was perfect. It could not have worked out better for the Jersey last year, the Ultra right there. Yeah, that was like a good Ultra for first-timers. It was for me. It was a very good one. I know, like, right when I... I, I might have stayed... I might have stayed in the uh, drop-bin area for... I may have been in there 20 minutes, maybe. I had two huge peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and I put, I don't know how much peanut butter I put on it, but it, I put so much peanut butter on it, they were like hard to chew. I ended up not even eating one of them, and I only ate like half of one, and like as soon, I was eating it, and then I was going out of the drop bin area, just eating the sandwich, and, yeah. and about the time I looked at my watch... I was right there, I think it was like 11 o'clock, and I got right behind the wave coming out, and I was like, great, yep. now I'm you know, going to have to move through this pack of people going up that, that rock garden cliff, you know, because oh, right, yeah. right there at the beginning, you know, you took this hard left and went up this rock hill, and 
it was you had to just about crawl to get around people that were going the easiest trail up it so that's another thing you want to think about too you know if you've got a watch on and, and, and you're in your drop bin area and it's about to come up on another hour you know if you can get out of there a little bit quicker and get by, get in front of that next wave coming out you know it's it'll be that much more of a help so oh absolutely all right all right so um did you have to do, did you fail any obstacles at new jersey last year oh i failed the stiffle on lap one unfortunately <clears throat> well that was if that was all you failed it was a pretty good lap then as far as i remember i think it was only the spear throw <clears throat> i did nail on lap two though which was very good because as soon as i nailed it, i got a second like burst of energy and i it was me and my buddy Frank. We were running like side by side all day along with a couple of other people. Yeah. As soon as I hit that, I just took off with everything I was. I wanted nothing more to do with that mountain. I know, because that was like at the very top, if I remember right. It was pretty close. I want to say there might have been one more climb after that. I can't really remember. Yeah, I think it was like two, like two miles from the finish line or something like that, if I remember right. Yeah. And um, I failed... And it was the first Spartan race ever, but I failed the hoist on both laps. I could not get it up to save my life. I don't know what was going on. Really? Yeah. I was just having a weak moment, I guess. I don't know. Well, it was a rough day overall. Yeah, because yeah, because the Hercules hoist was the last obstacle before you, you know, I think, well, you had the A-frame, and then, then you went under the dunk wall, and that was the very end. Yes. But yeah, I failed it twice. Wow. I know, and, and it made me sick because I was like, you know, what's going on? You know, this has never happened before. And, you know, Spartan races is one of those things where, you know, you've done this obstacle a hundred times and then all of a sudden one day you just mess it up. And, and you're like, what just happened? But I do like how they oh, changed the rules, how you can try that one more than once. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of a cool new rule they changed. Ooh, I, I kind of skipped over something. Uh, like, I probably already know your answer for this, and I, I did the same thing. But how do you, as far as what are you eating the day before the race? The day before the race? Yeah. I just eat everything. That's what I want. My diet changes almost none during the week leading up to, before the race, the morning of, nothing. But my usually my go-to dinner is just all of the pizza. Yeah. I think we were, we stayed in this Days Inn. We waited kind of late to book a room, and we were staying at a Days Inn in Port Jervis, which was about 45 minutes north of Mountain Creek. <laughs> And it yeah. had, I mean, it was the first Days in I'd ever stayed in that had a little, like, bar inside the hotel, you know? And so we, okay. like, we, like, ordered takeout pizza and some hot wings from, like, a local Italian restaurant. And it was, like, the greasiest pizza and hot wings I'd seen in a really long time. And, oh, I bet. And me and my buddy, Michael Robertson, and they got there, like, super late. It was, like, 8 it was like eight or wow. nine o'clock, and we were sitting there scarfing down pizza right before it. <laughs> there you go. It was an adventure. It worked out great. And then, like earlier that day, we stopped at some. 
it was a mom and pop diner and it was really good. They had like, they had, we, we went in there and ate pancakes and they had like this awesome carrot cake that was in there. And my buddy Michael was like, well, give me a side of bacon, you know, and we, we were getting like these pancakes that come with some sides. And he was like, give me a side of bacon. They brought out like four pieces of bacon and this bacon was like a quarter inch thick. It was the biggest oh, wow. pieces of bacon I'd ever seen. And, uh, I think when, when we went and checked out, the, his side of bacon was like nine ninety nine. Yeah, it was it was great. We had we had a, we had a blast at that race. It was super awesome. Nice. Um. Hmm. Trying to think what else we might could cover on Ultra Beast. I feel like we're leaving something out. Um. You got anything else you might want to add to this? Uh, I can just give everyone some quick hints and tips, really. Uh, drop in, get in and out of there. You want to be in and out in less than five minutes. Get your gear 100% down before this race. I know a lot of people like pack extra shoes and all that and socks just in case they get blisters. I think this is personally silly. If you don't have your gear 100% down and know what works for you and what doesn't by this point, but you obviously didn't put a lot of thought into this race. Uh, diet and nutrition leading up to the race, don't change anything. Your body's already used to it. Maybe add a glass or two of water every day. Uh, mentally in the race, talk to other people, sing out loud, crack jokes with everyone, keep your mind off of how miserable it's going to be. But if you can do that, you can complete this race, no problem. I mean, put the time in, put the energy in. Come race day, you gotta go into it knowing that you're the man, you're the woman, right. and you're gonna get through this. Definitely. And um, one tip, uh, you know, and some people—I mean, most people—probably already know this, but you know, when you're running on your second lap and you're coming back through the crowd, and there's people running the regular beast there, if you come up to an obstacle and there's a big line, or if it's crowded on the trail, you can. A lot of times you can say Ultra Beast coming through and they'll, you know, hopefully everybody will be kind enough and nice enough to let you come through because they know you got time hacks and, you know, you're trying to get done in a, in a timely manner for sure. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, and in talking about how preparing for this race, you know, when you're doing your runs on the weekends and it's a long run or, you know, even if it's a short run and you're wearing a hydration pack, whether it be a vest or, or a camel pack or a hydration pack, go ahead and get all your straps adjusted right to where you, you're not fumbling with them, you know, while you're running. Uh, get acclimated with running with a pack on that's loaded up with weight and, um, you know, practice the, the nutrition that you're going to run with, you know, you know, and like practice eating stuff while you're running, because if you've never done that before, you might pack some food that, you know, it's hard to swallow while you're running, you know, right? Oh, absolutely. That goes back to like gear prep and all that too. I mean, you want to go into this race knowing that everything that you've done so far is a hundred percent going to work. 100% going to fit, and it's not going to cause you any issues. I mean, anything could go wrong during the race, 
but that's during. I mean, you can't predict anything like that. Like a strap could break, you could lose two gels in your pocket or whatever. But as long as you know mentally going in that a hundred percent that you're not going to have to worry about anything like that, you're ten times better off than probably a lot of people already going into it. Yeah, like definitely nothing like majorly new on race day for sure. No, definitely not. And um, and for those of you that are, that are shopping for hydration packs, uh, I would definitely suggest if you're going to go the hydration pack route and, and not a vest, they have some that have a waist belt clip and they have some that don't. And if you get one that doesn't, it's going to bounce around and move around a lot more. And the waist or the, you know, the waist belt will hold it to you a lot better and you can snug it up a lot tighter so it, it moves with you and it doesn't move against you. Yes. Well, that's about all I got on, on New Jersey. But, uh, while I got you on the phone, TJ, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Vermont Ultra Beast? Uh, I was, you know, dorking around today while I was at work. <sighs> don't tell nobody. And um, I was looking at uh, your results over on on your Vermont Ultra Beast. And I noticed that you, you run Vermont in 2016 and your time was 13.45. Well, that, that was a hard race this year, was it not? The reason why my time was about that rate, I actually, right after the New Jersey Ultra Beast, actually, I did another ultra event down in Philly. It was called the Dirty German. It was going to be a 50-miler. And from there, I was going to keep expanding on. I was eventually going to do a 100-miler this year at the Montour 24 that I was talking about before. Yeah, didn't you have like a, um, not, it wasn't an injury, but you were having some kind of leg issue at that race, right? What it was, after when I ran the Dirty German, my 50-miler attempt, my hip flexor started to get all acted up, probably around mile or 12, and it was one of those things like, oh, I'll just loosen stuff up. You know, I stopped here and there, and I started stretching it out. It was a loop course, and I made it to 50K, and I decided to drop out just because I'm not going to, you know, this is hurting way too much. I'm not going to fool around with this. I packed up. I drove home. The next morning I wake up, my side of my knee was in so much pain. And I couldn't figure out what it was for a while. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take some rest now and I'll be good. Kept being like this persistent nagging pain. And just doing a little research on Dr. Google. And uh, I thought it was my MCL starting to just pull itself off the bone. And as soon as I heard that or read about it, I stopped everything right there. I pulled out of all of my races. I pretty much threw my entire summer running right away leading up to that point. Yeah, you, you started biking a little bit in there too, didn't you? Biking, I found out, that's actually when I got my mountain bike again, figured, all right, if I can't run, I'll do a little cross-training, because, you know, I was debating going back and forth between, like, if it was, like, a meniscus tear, if it was my MCL, if it was just uh, bursitis, I didn't know what it was, so, okay, I'll get back on the mountain bike, you know, that was the only thing that really didn't aggravate it, so I did that for a little bit, just to, like, kind of keep my lungs good, but... I really wasn't logging any kind of miles with that even because you know, I didn't want to risk any like further injury. But what it actually turned out being was I have a, well, it's more of like a self-maintenance thing that I don't like to do. I, I absolutely hate foam rolling and stretching and things like that. Yeah. And there's actually just so much tension built up in my legs 
just from over time, it actually, there's a Pezinceris, it's called the goose foot, where three tendons connect. It's your sartorius, your hamstring, and I believe it's one of your adductors. They all connect right there. And once I saw a sports massage guy where he beat me up so bad, I woke up the next morning, I did a one-mile race, I actually set the course record on that race. I never felt better in my life. Like, all my pain instantly went away. And we were about, oh, we had to be about four or five weeks out from Vermont at that point. So I really only did probably about five solid training runs at Bear Mountain in New York leading up to Vermont at that point. Wow. So, again, it's one of those things I mentally knew what the distance was going to be like, but that race, obstacle-wise, it wasn't hard at all, but they just murdered everyone with just sheer vert that day. It was just relentless, up and down, up and down, all day. What what did the incline, what did the elevation end up being for that race? It was like way over 10,000, wasn't it? I think I clocked probably on 14,000 feet again. Holy crap. So, I mean, it was, like I said, obstacle-wise, it was super easy. It was basically like, it was a sky race that day. That's all boiled down to. Yeah, because I think... that's what just killed a lot of people. Yeah, because New Jersey was just barely under 10. So, to those, you know, the difference between, you know, Killington and New Jersey, there's there's a big difference. New, New Jersey... New Jersey is- is probably the easiest one. Go ahead. It's, I'm not going to say easy, but if Killington's a 10, New Jersey's a solid 7, 7.5. Right. I, I would probably say, and I've never done Killington or Tahoe, but just from what I've read, I would definitely say in the States, you know, in the mainland, that probably Jersey is probably the easiest ultra. But, I mean, there's only three, so... I can't speak for Tahoe. I unfortunately did not get up there to run it, or I've also not ran Hawaii either, but don't think of New Jersey as being easy by any means, because yeah. it took a lot of people out. Yeah, no doubt. Think of it as, it's not as big of a mountain, but the way they use the terrain out there, it's a lot more technical running than, say, like Killington, what Killington is. Like, it's just generally just nastier rocky trails in this part of the world as opposed to up north a little more. Right. So Norm definitely used that to his advantage a little bit more too. So, so when you talk about the uh, the technical trails, was uh, Vermont more clean and wider cut trails, or was it more tech or than New Jersey? New Jersey has a lot more rocks and slop and things like that, whereas Vermont, it was there were still rocks up there, but it wasn't nearly as bad as Vermont, or, um, New Jersey is. Right up there, it's more it's more like uh, single track dirt. A lot of tree roots, if I remember right, too, from last year. Right. Mm. But, yeah, and, and Vermont is the one that it has a swim to it. Doesn't it have a swim, right? It, uh, last year it did, yes. We had to get on shore, swim out to the bridge, climb up the rope to a Tarzan rope, swing the bell, jump back down in, swim on the shore. How cold was the water? Was it real cold? It wasn't too bad. It was still fairly nice that time of year. For surprisingly, I was expecting it to be a lot colder in that water. But uh, it was it was doable as long as you got in and out of it really quick. Cool. 
Yeah, I, I remember reading on Facebook that Vermont had a bit, a lot bigger failure rate uh, in 2016, for sure. I think they said something like a 20% finishers rate for 2015 or 2016. Yeah. Again, it was just the mountain itself that took everyone out. There was just so much climbing and descending, and that's just, it killed almost everyone, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, because wasn't there only like, it was like there was either 800 or 1,000 that ran New Jersey and only like five or 600 finished. It was something like that, I think. I could be wrong on this, but I think Jersey's finishers rate was probably like 60%. Yeah. It something was, like that? Yeah, it was definitely higher. Oh, it was most definitely higher, but I, I can't remember the official numbers offhand. I don't know if they released it or not, but if you dig around like Athlinks and all that, I'm sure you can call the general idea of that, though. You know, I've never thought about looking on Athlinks for all that. I, I remember when I looked through it, I was just sitting there counting through all the, the different heats and the waves. <laughs> But that probably would be the best way to, uh, probably the best way to check it out. Well, shoot, TJ, uh, what races you got planned this year? What's your next race? My next race, I think I'm headed to the Delaware Water Gap to do a race called the Mount Tandy 10. It's right. going to be 10 laps of uh, Mount Tandy. She roughly did about 40 miles and about 10,000 feet of gain. Then wow. after that, I'm headed to my stop one, the Pennsylvania Triple Crown, to the 150K. Then after that, it's New Jersey Ultra Beast. And then I'm going to start focusing back on the Pennsylvania Triple Crown again with the World's End 100K. And then from there, I believe I'm headed to Montour 24 for a 24-hour race. Uh, what, and uh, then it will be... And what is Eastern that race? States. Uh, Montour? Yeah. That's that one-and-a-half-mile loop all day for 24 hours. Okay, that's right. I'm using that as, like, my final tune-up race before I head on to the Eastern States 100-miler, and that's actually going to be my first 100-mile of the year. Oh, wow. And hopefully, if I, can, if I can complete it, that'll be the final step in the Pennsylvania Triple Crown. So that's definitely your A race this year is that 100-mile, huh? My, the Pennsylvania Triple Crown, that's the races for me this year. There's only three of them. Like, every other race that I'm doing is just leading up to these three events. A hundred miles. Man, that's going to be a long day. Days. Yes, it is. Um, well, uh, what are you going to be doing on April 1st and the 2nd? Are you going to be down here in Georgia? I will not be at the Georgia Death Race this year, unfortunately. <laughs> It was one of those races where I had the opportunity to sign up, but then I'm thinking about it, and like I sat there, like over hovering over the submit button, like I've already been there, I've already done it. You know, let's go focus on something else this year. I mean, it's it's a very well rate, very well put on race. Rumbun puts on a very tough course, but I've already been there, I've already done it. Let's go try something different. You know. I hear you. Well, man. I got a lot of friends running it this year, and they're gonna have a they're gonna have a they're gonna have a long day on their hands. What the death race? On the the Georgia death race, yes. I know. I was looking at some of those posts. It looked like they just had really great food at all the little aid stations and everything. Funny you should say that. At mile twenty one, I actually had Girl Scout cookies and a Miller High Life tall boy to eat. <laughs> That's Later awesome. on in that race, I think it was mile 50-something, I had pork barbecue quesadillas, too. 
That's awesome. I had that, and I chased it with a Mountain Dew, and it was like the greatest thing I've ever had. That's awesome. <laughs> um, well, shoot, man. I just want to wish you good luck on all your ventures, and uh, I really appreciate you talking to us today. I hope maybe we can get some people to listen to this podcast. Nobody's listening to it right now. But, um, oh. um, man, it's, I think there's some really great information here today. Um, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you don't mind anybody hitting you up on Facebook if they have any questions or anything like that, right? More than happy to help anyone out with any kind of, like, ultra-running question. I may not have all the answers, but I can at least point you in the right direction. Yeah. Everybody out there, TJ's a super cool guy. Uh, he likes great music. Um, he likes great food. And uh, he's a well-accomplished long-distance runner. And um, I just really want to thank you for talking to us today, TJ. And uh, that's all I got for now, man. I appreciate you talking to us. Scott, it was good. Glad to be on. Glad I can help everyone out. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. I hope everybody enjoyed that uh, interview. I want to thank TJ again for uh, talking to me. Um, if everybody would, you know, uh, follow my Facebook page and uh, follow me on Instagram. Um, hopefully I have this episode up on iTunes soon. So if you want to subscribe to it and leave a review, that'd be great. Uh, and we will see you at the next race. Peace! Peace!